listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. The Pharmacy Podcast Network was a press and media amplifier for the inaugural Vive 2022 conference in Miami, Florida. Vive brought together C-suite executives, senior digital health leaders and buyers, health startups and investors, government and solution providers to advance healthcare. The four days was a spectacular discovery of what the best minds in healthcare can create together. Listen in to a summary of the conference with several leading organizations in healthcare. Hey, we're at Vive 2022 in sunny Miami, a big change from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm excited to be here. Welcome to Vive, and thanks for interviewing with us here at Panda Health. Thanks, Todd. It's great to be here. Introduce yourself to our listeners and let them know what you do here at Panda Health. Yeah, before I do that, i got to say, I'm in Philadelphia, and you won't believe it's 77 degrees in <laughs> Philadelphia. When I told the folks I'm going to Miami, they go, Really? <laughs> Isn't that funny? So I left uh, the other day. It was sunny and 62 in Pittsburgh, and now we're here, and it wasn't really that much, you know, warmer. But it's um, our weather is either horrible or it's nice. It seems doesn't seem like we have any middle of the road. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Todd, it's it's great to be here. Uh, Great to meet you. So I'm Raj Agarwal. I'm the Chief Growth and Strategy Officer at Panda Health. Uh, My background is. 20 plus years in healthcare as a GI surgeon, clinician, as a PhD scientist in virtual reality robotics. And then most recently I ran ventures and strategic partnerships for a large health system in Philadelphia, Jefferson Health, where we really partnered with early stage companies to take the best of their technology and financing and take the best of the health system, clinical living laboratory expertise to validate those technologies and then be able to scale them across multiple health systems. And that's really what brings me to Panda, is Panda's a digital health marketplace where we have vendors of digital health solutions on one side and health systems on the other side. And it's somewhat akin to the job I had at Jefferson, but now I'm doing this for all the health systems across the country and all the vendors that are here at Vive um, within this exhibit. And it's quite a daunting role, but also a really exciting place to be. When I think of what you just said and where Panda fits in the technology platform, I also think of health system pharmacy and how the pharmacists have needs for their patient as well as predicting what's coming and what's necessary. Can you talk to about us about your platform and how it might t- tie into a health system pharmacy? Great. Well, first of all, I just want to say that pharmacists are kind of the unheard, unsung heroes of a lot of healthcare. I mean. How many people with chronic diseases are not on a medication, right? Whether that's a tablet or an IV or other kind of medication, right? And as a clinician for over two decades, number of times that a pharmacist has, excuse my language, saved my ass, right? In terms of medication error, in terms of medication reconciliation, 
in terms of helping us with medication adherence for patients as well, even just to the scripting of uh, medications and how to do that right for regular drugs and control drugs. They really are the unsung heroes. And now what's happening in this world of digital health is it doesn't have to be down to, to John or Mary, my friend who's the pharmacist. We can use digital technologies. We can use artificial intelligence and machine learning technologies to personalize not only the scripting, but the delivery and the management of medications. And so I'll give you an example. One of the companies I worked with when I was back at Jefferson was using credit card fraud technology to look at all of the medications that are prescribed and then delivered within our healthcare system. And just like a credit card uh, company says, hey Raj, there was a transaction in Greece last night. Are you in Greece? Because you don't normally go to Greece, right? In the same way, like, is this the right dose for a pediatric patient versus for a uh, elderly patient with chronic liver disease? That's the kind of technology that we want to bring to the forefront. So the way that Panda wants to work with pharmacy departments, uh, pharmacists within health systems is really say, hey, there's a lot of digital health technologies out there that can help you do your job better, augment what you do, and deliver better outcomes, and probably even lower the cost of the medications um, uh, that we use within our healthcare systems. But it is daunting to know which type of technology to use, when to use it, how, whether those need to be integrated within into our electronic medical record, which types of patients to use them. And that's where Panda really comes into its own. The Panda vision that we're seeing right now with our health systems that we're working with is to help health systems source, evaluate, contract, and manage digital health solutions. Right? So when the chief of pharmacy says, hey, we need to be prescribing CBD within our health system now, because that's a big deal, a lot of patients are on it, how do we do medical medication reconciliation around that? Yep. Well, there is a piece that there's a digital technology that we can do that narrowing of the funnel, find those best-in-class solutions, pre-negotiate the contracts with those companies, and then deliver that directly to the health system. So they can now work with Panda to ensure that their pharmacy department is really working right at the optimal level and doing that safely, at speed, and at quality. So why invest in Vive? Uh, this is our first time at Vive, and it's got a different energy to it than many of the conferences that I've been at. So what's your, um, what's your feeling on Vive? Well, we all love Miami, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, look, seriously, um, for a start, this is the first conference that many of us have been to for over two years, right? And it's great to be here back in person, not on a Zoom, everyone's vaccinated and COVID tested. So that's um, number one, that's great. Number two is this is where digital health, um, the best in, uh, of digital health is right now, not just in the US. I was just talking to some Israeli companies, some other companies from Europe, Greece, and so forth. The thing that I think um, isn't quite missing, but we need to work on is where are all the health systems? Where are the chief pharmacy officers? Where are the chief digital officers? Where are the CIOs? Quite frankly, where are the CEOs here saying, these are all the tools that I need to be able to deliver the care for my patients, to enable my providers to deliver that care, and to be doing that with clinical, operational, and financial metrics of success. So I think this is a wonderful place, but it's also daunting. Here, I don't know how many football fields of um, solutions there are here, but there's a ton. And so we need to be able to cut through the noise and figure out what's best for one health system versus another health system. 
Raj, this has been an absolute pleasure to uh, feature Panda Health and what you're doing in healthcare and bringing pharmacists as a team member and player into the system. We um, hope to uh, have a follow-up interview with you in the future and really understand other things that Panda is doing. In closing, what else did you want our pharmacy uh, listeners to, to know about Panda Health? I really want our pharmacy listeners to reach out to Panda. Like, I think probably one of the things about healthcare is that there is no dearth of problems to solve, right? And when you think about as a leader in pharmacy or as a pharmacy technician, what problem do I want to solve next week, right? Call Panda and we will help you figure that out from a digital uh, perspective. That's pretty much it. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Rush. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate it. Hey, we're at Vive 2022 in Miami, and I'm here with 2B Precise. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Todd. I appreciate it. Introduce yourself to our listeners and let them know what you do. Well, I am the chief medical officer for a company called 2B Precise, and I'll say with a little disclaimer, I also have been practicing family medicine for about 30 years um, now, which I've maintained uh, despite having a secondary career in technology. Um, 2B Precise is a company that we started about six years ago to solve the problem of getting a lot of genetic and genomic information to clinicians at the point of care. So the science has been progressing very rapidly, but really we have a technology problem of utilizing that science. Dr. Jewell, you're also a fellow Pittsburgher, um, which is uh, where I'm from as well, which was uh, serendipitous to learn that about you. It's amazing. Uh, Pittsburgh continues to be the center of the universe. That's right. I agree. And people will be like, oh, you're from Pennsylvania. Um, I know somebody from Philly. And I'll be like, no, that's the dirty side of Pennsylvania. We're from Pittsburgh. Yeah. Some people would refer to our side as Pennsylvania, but I'll <laughs> let that go. Yeah. So uh, to be precise in gene study, gene therapy, this has always been fascinating to me. I work with a small company out of Greensburg, Pennsylvania called WellMed RX, Dom Meff and his team. Dom has since passed away, but he was trying to quickly assess based on a pharmacogenomics test if a patient was, um, if their insurance would cover the CPT and ICD-10 codes in order to get it paid for. So because of that small project, which I was a part of for about four years, he ended up selling that technology to UPMC Enterprises. It really opened my eyes up to what is pharmacogenomics and how in the hands of a pharmacist it could really be used to dig down into medications that they could discover, hey, this patient isn't going to absorb this. We should probably look at some other medication. But let's dig down and specifically about what To Be Precise is doing. Sure. So in a nutshell, we've tried to solve the problem of most of the molecular data that's being done today continues to come back on paper. So we've done all this work um, digitizing information, making it valuable, uh, allowing uh, clinical decision support, being able to use this data for research, identifying cohorts, etc. And now in the most important and rapidly advancing science, which is genomics right now, we've gone a gazillion years backwards and are reporting the stuff on paper. So the first problem we looked to solve was to get that data as discrete data, store it in a 
data model that now can make it usable. And at the same time, we're collecting clinical data, phenotypic data, and we're harmonizing it with that clinical data so it can be used. Um, in addition to that, we're getting information from knowledge sources on a constant basis. So in a nutshell, your genetic data, for the most part, is going to be static for your rest of your life. What's changing is your clinical situation is happening daily, and knowledge is changing daily. So we've developed a system to be able to look at that combined piece and inform a clinician at the point of care, hey, there's some genetic information that might be helpful to you in making a diagnosis or um, selecting a treatment, or I'm presented with a clinical dilemma, can I look at some already some genetic data that exists today um, as well. So we're agnostic to various knowledge sources, to various electronic health records, and allowing that data really last mile, and that's one of the interesting pieces of our technology, to insert it into the EMR in a way that the doctor never has to leave their workflow. So the same way that they're used to seeing um, alerts perhaps for other drug-drug interactions, we'd like them to have the same drug gene information moving forward as well. So when I think of this, I think of the time that the primary care physician has in jumping into the EHR to check on a patient. When is it time to flag some of this information extracted from the to be uh, precise um, repository and send it off to a pharmacist to really dig in? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So the first part, what we have to be careful of is the issue of alert fatigue, which already exists. So I'm guilty of it like any other doctor. I see a, a medical alert coming on, and most of them are redundant or not necessary to me, and I'm very quick to get rid of those um, alerts. Um, and there are some days that go by where I'm like, maybe there was something I should have taken a second guess at. Um, I've been in practice long enough to, to have some experience with that. But as we add this genetic data, we have to be careful that we're not adding another level of alert fatigue. And on top of that, doctors may be comfortable with typical drug-drug interactions, but their knowledge of drug-gene interactions now is not that um, good. So there's an education process. We need to keep it simple for those doctors as well. So that's the first step of this. How can we do that within the workflow? Um, the second piece is engaging pharmacists in this, as you said. And for me, um, I look at it in my own practice the same way I do is um, when I used to uh, prescribe vancomycin, as an example, when I was a young physician, I knew how to do a calculation and weight-based, et cetera, with this. Um, today, I write for vancomycin, and I'm very happy that the pharmacist is going to correct that dose and put the and monitor in afterwards. And I see that's a good analogy today. There are a lot of things that I can do myself when I go to prescribe antidepressants, for instance. I can use that pharmacogenomic data to help me. But when I get more complex problems, especially when there are drug-drug gene interactions, I'd like that same pharmacy oversight to help me in this. I also think that analogy is too simple because I think the pharmacists need to be very, very involved in the education process um, right now. Um, and there's a lot of caveats that go with that. So the fact that we represent uh, drug gene interaction as red, yellow, and green, um, red doesn't necessarily mean it's bad or it's an allergy or somebody's going to die. I'll give you an example. Somebody um, I have on 10 milligrams of Prozac for irritable bowel syndrome. The therapeutic range is so huge. If they're a slow metabolizer of that drug and doing well, that red alert is, 
means absolutely nothing in that case. On the other hand, if a patient's taking citalopram at 40 milligrams and there are drug-gene drug interactions that potentially could cause long QT syndrome, the patient could die, then I need some additional help in choosing another drug or mon, uh, modifying dose and things like that. That's a really good point. I also feel that there's other facets of functional medicine, nutrigenomics, that are playing into total health for patients. What other data is, to be precise, collecting in order to get the information to the physician in order, as the quarterback of our health, to be able to pass that off to uh, a specialist like a pharmacist? Yeah, it's a great question. I think we say genomics, but really we uh, have envisioned the company as omics in general, and that will involve lots of things. Um, Certainly, uh, the bacteria in our gut and how they um, play a role in our health, the way that we metabolize drugs, our blood sugar, lots of other things is important. Um, The fact that people have a genetic abnormality or variant um, may or may not be relevant because that variant needs to be um, transcribed. So this issue of transcriptomics is now a burgeoning one. And then proteomics is that protein that it codes for. What does that do? So part of this is the special area of pharmacogenomics, as an example. Another area that's important to us is in cancer treatment, where we're looking at the unique DNA of a cancer biopsy, the somatic piece of this. Um, The other piece that's important and people forget is um, collecting a good family history and having tools, electronic tools, to collect that as discrete data put into the same data model, help identify patients at risk based on family history, and then the whole germline piece in general. Our belief is these can't be done separately. There are companies that do these in small little chunks, but we really need an air traffic control center that cuts across all these areas. Um, And again, uh, not to to talk too long on this subject, um, one that's um, very relevant to me. A few years ago when we were talking about cancer genomics at a very well-known flagship oncology center. And I asked the oncologists there, were they interested in pharmacogenomics? And they actually laughed. They said, why would we want anything to do with that? The science is poor. One of the other doctors at the table sheepishly said, you know, we have about a dozen markers that are relevant to our cancer care right now. There is a lot more good pharmacogenomic data right now. I remember asking them at the time, I said, do you give people pain medicines? Do you give people anti-nausea medicines? Do you maintain antidepressant medicines in your population, all of which have a significant pharmacogenomic component. So let alone the pharmacogenomics of the cancer drugs themselves that are, you know, increasing every day right now. So this idea of being a holistic caregiver and the role that genetics plays is not just in that tumor biopsy and and cancer markers. And by the same token, if I identify a patient that's at risk for familial cancer, what do I do with that? And also, what if I incidentally, because I'm doing broader panels, identify other things, familial hyperlipidemia, as an example? How do I get other members of the family to either be treated or make sure that they're treated appropriately, which may be very different their cholesterol management based on their genetic germline data? What little I know about the clinical side of pharmacogenomics, because I was much more on the payer side, where we were really trying to map out um, the incident to identifier in the patient's record and tying it back to their insurance. But in the medical, which is where all the data lies, what I understood was 
your genes and your DNA from the time that you're born to the time that you die, there's no change unless there's a cancer in your system that actually changes something. What is, what's happening? I almost feel like that's a whole other layer of complexity for a patient. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. And um, it gets back to this issue, too, is uh, the fact that you have a DNA variant does not necessarily mean that something's going to happen um, to you. Um, on the other hand, you'd want to know about that, be able to um, intervene earlier for this. Um, certainly, um, my own prejudice, and, I'll, and I will say this mostly in the behavioral health area right now, all of what you said is it's almost unconscionable in this day and age to continue practicing trial and error medicine. Um, particularly if I look at my pediatric or adolescent population, um, those kids, maybe an adult has um, several months before we just keep trying a drug, increase the dose, doesn't work, trying another one, et cetera, et cetera. And even that is unacceptable. But particularly in an era where teenage suicide is very, very high, et cetera, um, it's crunch time. We don't, we can't do that. We can't sit, wait four weeks, up a dose, wait another four weeks, change again. We need to really narrow that time of diagnosis to treatment um, very, very rapidly. And that's where I think, you know, we need to change hearts and minds right now and make that the standard of care. This has been an absolute pleasure. Because you're in Pittsburgh and because of our background, we have to have you come on our PGX for Pharmacists show, which is dedicated to just pharmacogenomics and the nerdiest pharmacist I've ever met in my life, uh, Dr. Becky Winslow, Dr. Uh, Banaz Sarami. They are just brilliant. And that was ranked as like ninth most popular podcast in biometrics. So we have to have you on that show sometime, Dr. Joel, and just to unpack some of this. Uh, it would be my pleasure. It's a subject near and dear to my heart, as you can tell. Go Steelers. If I say to you, trust your data, what comes to your mind? I think of all the pharmacists right now, you're in your car, you're jogging, you're exercising, what are you doing? You have to go back to your health system, you're going to your hospital, you're firing up your EHR system that's supposed to feed you orders, and you think of all the data, <laughs> even for one patient, how much data there is out there, and you have to rely on that data to do your job correctly as the most trusted healthcare professional out there and keeping people safe. I'm at Vive 2022 in uh, wonderful, hot Miami. I'm a Pittsburgher, so I love it hot. And I'm here with Jason Mabry, and he's with ClearSense, and that's exactly what they do. They make data trustworthy. I like this. Yeah, thank you. Hey, uh, good afternoon, everyone. So when we think about trust and data, I think 90% of our clients, when we first talk to them, for the most part, do not trust their data, right? I think everyone's been in a meeting where a dashboard has been presented, a workflow's been presented. There's questions around the lineage of that data. Where did it come from? Um, do they trust it? Is it accurate? Um, and, and typically, normally, that resides within either the IT department um, or analysts, right? They're the ones that are, are typically wrangling the data, bringing it in, presenting it up to dashboards. You know, what ClearSense does and, and what it is is a user-friendly, right? So our, 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 our uh, end user typically is the business user, right? Not necessarily somebody that's a data engineer. 
we built the platform to focus on three key areas, ingestion, data management, master data management, and consumption. So how, how do you consume that data? Is it in a workflow? Is it pushed out to another application, right? Um, is it in with one of our applications, one of our predictive analytics applications, for instance, or one of our dashboards? Um, and what makes us different? We take a novel approach to master data management. Truly, to understand and trust their data, the end user has to be involved in that cleansing process. AI ML will only get you so far. So when you when you think about the way uh, ClearSense uh, uh, processes data, we have an ingestion side that connects to any data source, any format, any type of data. We have all the fire resources built. We're, we're working on uh, also, um, we're approaching the whole bulk fire concepts as well. We're building that out right now on the platform. And then in the, once that data is ingested, it then moves into our, our MDM side, or our data management side, where we assist clients with the data governance program. And that data governance program includes uh, both data and application stewards, information governors, and then eventually a, um, a, a data governance committee that, that you know, builds the policies, builds the charters, et cetera, on the data. Um, what happens is, you know, we provide transparency in that data. So once you've ingested whatever source system you've ingested, we work with the client to understand what the golden record is. What is important to you? So if we're talking about provider data or pharmacy data, for instance, we would build out a pharmacy domain to say, what are the critical data elements that matter to you, end user, or key stakeholder? And in provider, that may be, for instance, a provider domain, that may be provider location, that may be tax identification number, that may be specialty, right? Um, and then we give them transparency across all their applications in their system to let them know that, look, provider data resides in, say, 90 of your 200 applications that you currently have in your ecosystem. We're going to give you transparency, and we're going to bump up all of the data in each one of those critical data elements that we just mentioned and show you how they compare to the golden record, the critical data elements that you said, listen, this is how we want the physician name to look. This is how we want their TIN number to look. This is how we want... Um, their uh, date of birth to look, for instance, across all their applications. What happens is those, those data storage then go in and look for errors in that data and correct them, and then rewrite that to the source systems, and then push it into a trusted integrated zone for a pharmacist to use, for a lab person to use, for a CFO to use, because that data now is completely trusted and has been cleansed through both our technology and the folks that are working on it, the data storage, application storage, et cetera. So what, what, what happens is, is the entire organization sees the cleansing and curation of that data right in front of them, and now they start to build the trust, right? And once that trust happens, now you can go build out your cohorts, you can go build out your predictive models, you know, you can build out your reports, but you know for a fact that the data is trusted. There's no longer those questions around where did this data come from. So my first example was hospital system pharmacy, and I can see where this plays in exactly there. Matter of fact, that's where I would go first. But now I'm thinking of community pharmacy. So there's 20,000 uh, independently owned community pharmacies in the United States, and each of them get to use whatever software system they want. We're talking Pioneer, QS1, you know, BestRx, SweetRx, uh, Keycentrics, whatever they're using. Uh, we know, you and I sitting here right now know how dirty probably that a lot of that data is just from fat finger or lots of document management systems pulling in a fax and it'll try to read the OCR technology and try to pull it into the system. So when I, when I think of ClearSense, not that you guys want to work for free, wow, if you could take this technology and give it to a community pharmacy and say, now when you upload 
your data to the EHR system at the hospital if the patient goes into the hospital or the order comes from the physician or whatever, whatever's happening. It would be the ultimate golden record if we could clean that to assure that we have data at the right spot. And I'm wondering, Jason, how many medical uh, medication errors could be prevented by cleaning data. Yeah, no, you're spot on, and a tremendous amount of them could be cleansed. You know, and look, we work with large organizations. We work with two doc practices, right? So, the, you know, we started really the mission of the company originally was to help those both big and small, right? And at the end of the day, everybody needs clean data, right? I mean, if you've got a report, if, if you're uploading stuff to an EMR, if you're, you know, part of an owned or an independent. Um, uh, pharmacy practice, you're gonna have the same needs around data. And so our application can be applied literally at any level, really to any number of critical data elements. So it just depends on what the, we start with sort of the end result in mind. What are you trying to accomplish? What's the outcome you're looking for? Is it just that your data is a mess because you've got a lot of manual processes in the office, right? Um, what we'll do is we'll come in and we'll take a, we'll do a quick assessment on that and tell you just how bad it is, right? And then we'll also show you the ROI on that. So if you did these three things and cleaned up this data, you get this result, this outcome, this ROI. And that's really powerful. So when people start to see like, look, if I can just clean up my data, it's like 60 to 70% the changes that result. Um, you know, we think a lot about uh, the sort of future of where this is all headed. At the end of the day, you know, the government is really making a push on removing all the blockages around data sharing, interoperability, right? That's going to affect everybody. Everyone, everywhere. Doctors, pharmacists, lab technicians, everyone, right? Everyone has to start sharing data openly. So another part of the platform that we have is we have a nice component around interoperability, right? So we'll work with the client to understand where they're trying to push their data to, right? So we'll work with both the, the, the uh, organization that's taking the data in and the organization that's pushing the data out. And we can have a nice layer in between to make sure that data is cleansed through our engine in between. So we're seeing a lot of uh, opportunity there as the government makes those man mandates and the consequences that are, I think, going to soon come out in the end of this year uh, that'll affect everybody. So, um, you know, I think for me, uh, again, when we think about data in general, again, it doesn't matter the size of the organization. Both, both we're working with, starting to work with other companies, large organizations that have large corporate uh, pharmaceutical um, offices, like I won't name them, but they're having the same issues across the board. So Jason, what do you think of Vive? This is the inaugural, it's the first time. I think this has been an amazing um, you know, event. I think I like the intimacy of the, the smaller you know, venues in comparison to the gargantuan you know, conferences that are out there, but why did, why did ClearSense invest in Vive? You know, uh, we love the idea of it, right? We know we're, we're a big supporter of Chime, and, and Chime is partnered with Vive. Um, you know, we support both Hims and Vive, but honestly, uh, we've been just um, really impressed with Vive. The organization, the speakers they have, the engagement they have with the vendors, the, the type of vendors they have here. If you walk the floors, I think you'll see a lot of vendors that are focused on data management, uh, you know, um, whether it's innovation, whether it's fire, you name it, you're, you're going to see a lot of uh, AI type companies here. So it, it really sort of checked the box for us in terms of the, the audience that was joining this. Um, you know, and, and we're, we plan on continuing to do that. Vive will be a, a part of our, our plan strategically moving forward over the next few years. So uh, we've had a, a tremendous amount of folks to our booth, right? So it's been great. You guys stopped by and, um, you know, so again, we, we feel like we're a first mover in the, in the sort of data management space. And, you know, we're, we're, we're validating that with the folks that are stopping by. There's a lot of people interested in how the heck do I clean my data? How do I build a true, um, 
trusted source of our data. And so, um, you know, again, we'll, we'll be at Hims as well next week, but uh, I definitely see us uh, making more of an investment in Bobby for Jason, thanks so much for your time, and I appreciate this, and I look, look forward to learning more about ClearSense. Anytime, yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the 2022 Vive Conference Post Show. To learn more about Vive, visit viveevent.com. That's V-I-V-E-E-V-E-N-T dot com. And subscribe to the Pharmacy Podcast Network on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.